You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Let me ask you a question this morning. It is a difficult question. Not difficult for me to ask, but it is going to be difficult for some of you who are here this morning to answer. Do you believe a person can come to the point in his life or her life where that individual knows without any question that he or she possesses God's gift of eternal life? In other words, can you know and know deeply in your spirit that you know that you possess God's gift of eternal life? Now let me help you with the answer to that question because I have a more difficult question to ask you. The answer to that question is, yes, you can come to the point in your life where you know beyond any question you have God's gift of eternal life. Because the Bible says that you can come to that point in your life. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we read these words. I write these things unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. You can know and know deeply in your spirit that you know that if you were to die, you would spend your eternity in heaven with the Lord God. Now that is a difficult question for some of you because you have gone through all of the religious ritual. You've done everything anybody's ever told you you ought to do, but yet down deep in your heart, I know there's some of you here who would say, I do not have that sense of certainty. I do not have that security that I know that the Bible says that I can have. For if the Bible says, I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life, then I ought to know I have eternal life if indeed I have God's gift of eternal life. Now here's a more difficult question. Do you believe it is possible for a person who has ever come to possess God's gift of eternal life to lose that gift of eternal life? In other words, do you think that a person can be saved or be born again in the family of God and someplace along the way, two bad habits, a great shortcoming, some deep, dark, dismal sin or failure would cause you to lose God's gift of eternal life? If you've had it, can you ever lose it? Do you know the Bible says that once you come to know Jesus, you have his gift of eternal life and you will never, ever lose it. Now, dear friend, I know that is contrary to human logic. By the way, that's one of the ways you ought to know that it's God's plan because it's so contrary to human logic. And most everything that God does and is is contrary to human logic. And I know that it's contrary to human logic because human logic would say, well, you ought to have dangling over you the threat of 
going to hell as an encouragement for you to live properly. That is, as an encouragement for you to do good works. Now, I want you to think with me for just a few moments about the foolishness of that kind of reasoning. That is, that you will do better or be better as long as you have hanging over you a threat that you could spend your eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. Can you imagine what that would do to your marriage, for instance? If there at the marriage altar, as the pastor was performing those vows and you were repeating them to each other, that one of you said, I take you to be my lawful and wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness or in health, with this exception, unless you do right as my wife or husband, then I will divorce you. Can you imagine what kind of intimidation what kind of despair, what kind of futility that would breed into your marriage. If you did what you did only because you were afraid that if you didn't do it, a divorce would be impending. Did you know that counselors tell us, and I'm sorry to report this, but I know this from personal experience of counseling for many years, many hundreds and thousands of people, that one of the reasons that one of the highest rates of divorce is among people who have been divorced previously is that they have, down deep in their heart, many of these people have been so wounded, so lacerated, so injured that oftentimes, unless there is an understanding of what covenant relationship means, why oftentimes people enter into this second relationship thinking, well, you know, it happened once before, it might happen again. And so it happens over and over and over and over again. Because there in that mind, there is this dangling threat. It's happened once, perhaps it could happen again. Now, do you think that God is going to encourage you out of fear? A God who has said that I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. My dear friend, let me tell you something. You can be motivated out of fear, but over the long haul, those who live best and do the best and serve the best are those who do so out of love, not out of fear. And so I want to speak to you this morning, in fact, on this issue of the security of your salvation. And perhaps some of you who are visiting with us would say, oh, I've heard about these people. They believe in once saved, always saved. Well, my friend, let me just help you out. You heard exactly right. And the reason that I believe in once saved, always saved is because that is precisely what the Bible teaches. And the whole purpose of this message as we come to this close on the series of the 23rd Psalm, the whole purpose is to show you what the Psalm himself said in one very brief verse about your eternal security. The fact that once you've come to God, trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you are eternally secure. By the way, let me just tell you that there are many people who say, no, I don't think you can be that certain. But certainty is not only necessary in the plan of God, you will discover it is the nature of God himself. When I say necessary, let me just tell you that the only reason scientists can help us 
and science as a study can ever produce anything that is worthwhile is because science moves from certainty, probing out, to discover more certainty. I mean, they take certain, scientists will take certain ingredients and say, well, now, I can do the following experiments because I am certain that I have some givens here, a basis upon which to build. So you see, it's necessary. But not only is it necessary for the universe to operate, certainty is also the very nature of God himself. And you will discover, before this message is completed, as we open the word of God together, you will discover that the God of this world, that is the God, not the Satan who is the God of this world, but the God of this universe, our sovereign God, desires to enter into a covenant with every person here who would believe in Jesus so that you might have the certainty that you are eternally secure. And so with your Bible open, let's look once again at this 23rd Psalm, the Shepherd's Psalm. And I want to bring three challenges before you this morning. As we look at that very last verse which says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to challenge you first of all this morning to realize the essence of your security. That is, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Sometimes people say, well, can a person really know Jesus as his Savior if he doesn't understand once saved, always saved? I am sure that there are many people who come to know Christ who never heard of that particular doctrine, that particular phraseology. That thought never entered into their mind when they trusted in Jesus as their Savior. But I'll tell you this, the more you discover what the Word of God says, the more aware you will become that when you trusted in Jesus, you are saved forever. That's why it is called everlasting life. That's why it is called eternal life. That's why John tells us that not even the devil himself can take us out of the hands of God. And that's why Jesus not only says that as many as the, uh, come to me or the Father gives to me will come to me and goes on to say those who come to me I will in no wise cast out. He goes on to say and those whom the Father has given me of them I will not lose a single one. And so as we look at the scripture, you're going to discover the very essence of your security. I challenge you to realize the essence, that is, the very nature of your security. Now, look with me, if you will, first of all, at the fact that the nature of your security depends upon what I want to call the heavenly work of God, the heavenly work of God. You see, it is not something that you do which makes you eternally secure. It is something that God in heaven does which provides your eternal security. Your security is not based upon your works. Your, your security is based upon the work of God in heaven. Now, you see a sheep, the psalmist has already pointed this out to us so vividly, a sheep cannot in any way provide for its own security. The only way a sheep can be secure is when a shepherd tends to that sheep as a shepherd is supposed to tend to that sheep. And that's why the psalmist says, well, Jesus is my good shepherd. And that's why Jesus himself refers to himself as the shepherd over in John's gospel, chapter 10. Why someone says, what if a sheep 
sheep strays. And Jesus has even covered that possibility. He said, why, one day a shepherd was counting. He found that 99 of his 100 sheep were in the fold safely, but there was one who gone. And what did the shepherd do? Why, the shepherd didn't lose that sheep. The shepherd went out after that sheep which had strayed and brought him back on his shoulders and said, why, there is rejoicing. There is rejoicing, he said, in fact, in the presence of God for these who are brought back more so than those who are even safely in the fold. And so as you look at the 23rd Psalm, you will discover that everything that happens to that sheep, which is necessary for that sheep's security, is not something that the sheep does, but something the shepherd does for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides what I need. I shall not want, we read there in the 23rd Psalm. He is the one who makes me to lie down in green pastures. He is the one who leads me. He leads me beside still waters. He is the one who restores my soul. He is the one who leads me in paths of righteousness for his very namesake. Even though I would walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because he is with me. It is his rod and his staff which comfort me. It is he, the shepherd, who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It is the shepherd who anoints my head with oil. It is the shepherd who makes sure that my cup runs over. And that's why the psalmist David concludes, why, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the basis of your security is the heavenly work of God. But not, notice not only that there is this heavenly work, but there is also a heartfelt witness, a heartfelt witness, which is a part of the essence or the nature of your security. Notice how he begins this phrase, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, surely. If you would look at that word in the original language, you would discover that that word refers to something which is a firm certainty, something which cannot be changed. In other words, David is saying, listen, it is firm. It is certain. It is fixed. It cannot be altered. It will never be changed. What? This truth, that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and that I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you say, without any question, without any reservation, without any hesitation this morning, with no wavering in your spirit or in your mind, can you say, I know, and I know that I know, there's been that specific point of time in my life when I have transferred my trust to Jesus alone for my salvation. If you say, Brother Tom, I want to be able to say that. Looking back, I think there might have been a time like that. Looking back, I suppose, I sure do hope there's been. My friend, let me ask you this question again. Can you say there has been that specific point of time in my life when I have trusted in Jesus alone for my salvation? Let me tell you, dear friend, the psalmist is telling us here that if you have come to that point in your tough time in your life, then in your heart right now, there should be that heartfelt conviction. Not only the heavenly work, but the heartfelt witness of God's Holy Spirit, that you are truly a child of God. 
You say, now, Brother Tom, do I really have that sense of security if I'm a believer in Christ? That's what the Bible says. Why, if you looked in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, here's what you would read. The Spirit itself also bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you were to look in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, why, he says, this is the way we know that we are in him and that he is in us in that he has given us of his security. So, dear friend, here's what he's saying about the essence of your security. It is based, first of all, upon heavenly work. That is something God is doing, not something you're doing. It's not you running along trying to hang on God. It's not you reaching out saying, I sure hope I don't lose my grip on my salvation. I sure hope I do enough good works. I sure hope I am pleasing to God because I know that if I'm not, I'll release and I'll fall in the pits of hell. No, it is the fact that underneath you are his everlasting arms just as God, the shepherd is attentive to the sheep so God is attentive to every need that you have in your life it is based upon heavenly work but if you have that heavenly work accomplished in your life you will have a heartfelt witness there will be that inward peace which can say surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever I have that conviction so I challenge you, first of all, to realize the essence of your security. Now, here's a second challenge I want to lay before you this morning. Recognize the extent of your security. Recognize the extent of your security. For how long are you secure? Are you secure only as long as you behave right? Are you secure only as long as you meet certain conditions? Are you secure only as long as you feel secure? Are you secure only as long as God wants you to be secure? What is the extent of your security? Now listen again. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now here, David deals with the extent of your security. How long are you secure? He's going to answer that. And he's going to answer that by asking you to look at the two realms of your existence with which you're concerned. That is, he's going to ask you, first of all, to look at the temporal realm. I'm referring there to time. Everything we know about is, uh, has time involved in it. We, we talk about something that has a beginning and an end, a start and a finish, a birth and a death. It's very difficult for us to even conceive of eternal things because we are so bound up in a universe which is controlled by time. Let me remind you that when God created this universe, he created time right along with it. Before that, there was no time. After this universe is all dissipated, there will be no more time. We will spend an eternity. Time is abnormal to God. Eternity is normal to God. Hard for us to figure that out because just as uh, we are in this room now and it'd be hard for us to conceive of things outside this room, so were we are in the larger room of this universe. And it's hard for us to think of things that do not have time. So David says, let's talk about time. Let's talk about the temporal things. Are you secure during your physical life on earth? You know what he concludes? He concludes that surely, in other words, it is a firm, fixed certainty, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to lose my relationship with my good shepherd during my physical life here on this earth. Now, there are many people who say, now, you better be careful, preacher, because it just makes sense to me to think that, that there ought to be that possibility that a person who's saved could lose his salvation. I mean, won't you hold out for that? Now, let me remind you, dear friend, the Bible says, all the Father gives to me will come to me. These are the words of Jesus, and him who comes to me, I'll in no wise cast out. And a lot of people say, that's right, preacher, I believe in that. Jesus will not cast you out. But what if a person chooses to abandon the ship? What if a person chooses to go out? Let me remind you that as Jesus goes on, it's recorded in John, there, John's gospel, he says, and of all the Father that gives to me, I will lose none of them. In other words, he says, I'm going to make sure that everybody the Father gives me not only comes to me, but they will be kept by me. Listen, let me ask you this question. Do you think that God has a plan by which he will take away from you the fear or the threat of going to hell, and in that plan, he replaces that fear with another fear or threat of going to hell? You see, that's what a lot of people believe. They say, well, you know, when you come to God, you don't go to hell. I mean, if you really trust in Jesus, you won't go to hell. But now if you don't live right, you better be afraid because you're going to go to hell, dear friend. You won't spend your eternity in hell. Do you think he's going to take away one fear of hell and replace it with another fear of hell? Is that in God's system? Well, let's hear the testimony of the scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, let me read you this verse. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear. In other words, he's saying he's not taking away one fear and giving you another fear that's identical to it. You have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Let's imagine a servant. Here is a servant. He goes to his master and he says, you know, I love serving you. And the master says, well, as a matter of fact, I'm glad that you're my servant. And I'm glad that you're behaving as my servant because, you know, I made up my time when I bought you there in the slave market. I made up my mind that if you ever didn't serve me properly, I was going to kill you. It's just that simple. I was just going to cut your throat, leave you alongside the road. So I'm glad that you love serving me. It makes it very convenient for you. It makes it better for me. It makes it good for you. You keep your life. makes it good for me. I don't have to take your life. And so I'm glad you feel that way. I hope you always feel that way because if you don't ever, if you, if you ever get to a point where you don't feel that way, I am going to kill you. Now, that's news to the servant. I mean, when he became a servant, he was so overjoyed that he had a good master. It never occurred to him that down deep in that master's heart, there was a plan to kill him if he didn't behave right. Now, that servant begins living in trepidation. He thinks every time he do, does something, am I doing this right? Am I operating properly? There is this sense of foreboding in his heart. Why? he is in a genuine bondage now. He is in a bondage of fear. Why, I hope I'm doing what's right. He becomes slavish. He becomes almost foolish in his servitude. He fawns over the master. He does things that are so out of character. But yet, you know, he says, I sure don't want to die. Then one day, someone comes along who says, you know, I'd like to buy you out of the hands of your master. Oh, you would? Yes, I would. I've been watching you. You're, you're the kind of servant that somebody would be proud 
proud to have, and I, I'd, I'd love to have you as my servant. And I believe I could even treat you better than your master is treating you now. And I've gone to your master and I've told him that for a certain price I'd like to buy you, and he has agreed, but only if you make that choice. And so this servant says, you mean to tell me that you are willing to take me out of the hands of this man, and you are willing to become my master? You love me, you appreciate me that much? Absolutely, I would, I'd love to have you as my servant. And this slave doesn't even think twice about it. He says to himself, man, I'll tell you this about this master. He may be a good master, but he told me a long time ago, if I didn't serve him properly, he was going to kill me. I don't like those terms because I'm sure I'm going to slip up. I'm sure I'm going to make a mistake. And so he goes to that man and he says, look, I'll be your servant. Buy me off of the slave market once again. You become my master. He says, boy, I'm so glad you made that decision. I'm looking forward to being your master. Oh, by the way, let me just tell you this one thing. I sure hope you do as good for me as you did for your former master because if you don't, I am going to kill you. Now, what do you think that that servant says? He says, there's no difference in that deal and the deal that I already had. I mean, there's not one nickel's difference between these two masters because in both cases, I have a spirit of bondage again unto fear. And so this is exactly what people are saying these days who say that you can become a Christian and then lose your salvation. They're saying when you trust in Jesus, he is your redeemer. He buys you off of the slave market of sin. He gives you his gift of eternal life. Someplace out there along the way, however, if you don't do good, if you don't do right, why, he is going to let the hammer fall and you will spend your eternity in hell. My friend, let me tell you something. That is no deal for anybody. There's nothing advantageous about that. To shake off the old law which says if you're not perfect, you'll spend your eternity separated from God and to put on some kind of a new law, even a law that comes by trusting in Jesus which says, and if you don't do good, you will spend your eternity in hell. Now, my friend, there's no deal right there. And so he deals with it on the temporal side. He says, why, goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days of my life. But he also says, you're secure in a timeless fashion, not just in a temporal fashion. You also can be secure in a timeless fashion. Notice what he says. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. I mean, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, this word house is a very interesting word. It is the word in the Hebrew language, baeth. We get our word, uh, uh, well, it's the word we, we talk about, Bethlehem. That means the house of bread. Or Bethphage is another city in Judea, the house of figs. Or Bethany, the house of kindness, Beth, the word for house, but it refers more to more than just the house. It refers not only to the dwelling place, it refers to your position in the family. He is a Bethlehemite, they would say, of certain individuals. That is, he is of that family. He not only lives there, but his family is there in Bethlehem. And so what he is saying here is this, not only do you have security in the temporal realm, that is that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. He says you have security in the 
timeless realm. That is, you will dwell, you will repose, you will settle down in the house of the Lord forever. Now, dear friend, let me tell you something. You can have security not only in this realm, but you can have security in the eternal realm as well. And this realm, this earthly realm, no matter what you might think, is very short-lived. I mean, even a long life is still just a brief, fleeting moment on the spectrum of all of eternity. It's just a moment. Your body's just the suit of, you, of clothes that you wear during this brief, earthly sojourn. I mean, it's just not even a, a tick, not even a, a millisecond on the clock of eternity because in eternity there is no clock whatsoever. It's just a brief moment. And yet there's so many people who would say, I'm going to depend on something in this world to give my security. It may be my bank account. It may be my business. It may be some relationship that I have with someone else. It may be some policy that I have. It may be some investment that I have. It may be something that I've bought. It may be some relationship which I have established. My friend, let me tell you something. One of these days, God is going to blow on that and it will all pass away. He'll set the torch to it and it will all burn up and then eternity will begin for you. You say, well, how can I settle that? You can have security now. You can have security in the future. That is forever by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and as the Savior of your life. That is the extent of your security. Now, there's one final challenge I want to lay at your feet this morning. And my prayer is that somehow what I'm about to say will cause your heart to leap with joy. I want to challenge you to rejoice in the expressions of your security. To rejoice, I mean just to get happy in the expressions of your security. Have you ever just gotten happy about something? I mean just gotten happy about it. You could hardly control, contain yourself. You couldn't control your enthusiasm. I mean you were just happy about it. You couldn't talk quietly about it. Your heart was overflowing with the news or perhaps the joy that was inside. Have you ever gotten happy? Pity the poor person who has never just gotten happy about anything. I feel so sorry for you if you've never just had a runaway fit of happiness. There's something about being happy. Now you don't always look smart to people. I remember one time I was having a happy spell I was driving along in my car, driving out on the freeway. Nobody's out there on the freeway. I was singing at the top of my lungs. I mean, it was just great. Pulled off the freeway, pulled up the stop sign, totally oblivious to everything that was around, just having a happy spell. I looked over, and there was a car next to me, and the people were there slack-jawed, looking at me. My window was down. I was bellowing at the top of my lungs, and you know what? I was so happy, I didn't care a bit what they thought about it. Friend, I was having my happy spell, thank you. I mean, I was just filled with what it is that God had done for me. And my prayer is in these next few moments that God somehow will help you to see that you can have a happy spell because you are eternally secure if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior and as the Lord of your life. You ought to rejoice in the expressions of your security. And you know what David is saying here? David is saying, not only is it an established fact that I am secure, I mean, the essence of my security is something God is doing, and he even gives me the witness of his spirit. The extent of my security, why, it's all the days of my life, and it's forever as well. But he goes on to say there are some expressions in this life and in the life of, to come which God just gives me as blessings and as promises that I am eternally 
to cure her. Now, what does he say? He says, first of all, there is what I want to call an earthly expression of your security. What is the earthly expression of your security? Listen to it. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, this word follow is an interesting word, and it will help you to know the word in order to understand what David is saying. That word follow means literally to run or to race after, to race after, to run after. It doesn't mean just to tag along. It means literally to chase down, to chase down. Now, a shepherd had a sizable flock of sheep did not tend those sheep alone. You say, well, he had other shepherds. Well, he may or may not have, but I'll tell you one indispensable commodity for a shepherd, and that was his sheep dogs. Because no matter where he went, those sheep dogs were always out on the perimeter making sure that the sheep would stay together. Chasing after those sheep. I mean, just, just barking at them. Uh, moving among them, making sure that they behave themselves, but especially on the perimeter, just making sure that those sheep stayed together. Now, if you get the picture here that following after means to chase down, to chase after, notice what he says is just one of the blessings, one of the expressions of your eternal security. He says, my good shepherd has two dogs. One of them is named goodness. Do you know what that word goodness means in the original language? This word goodness means that which will make me well. That which will make me well. And so he's got a dog out here. The dog is named goodness. And then he says he has another dog. He has a dog named mercy. And this word mercy uh, refers to the fact that an individual would bow his head and pay attention to, and you would receive the favor of that individual. And so it refers to the attentiveness and the favor of God. And so he says he has this dog mercy over here, along with this dog goodness. And he says, you know, one of the things that's so interesting to me as I have moved from pasture to pasture, as I have been on this pilgrimage as one of the Lord's eternally secure sheep, one of the reasons that I know, one of the expressions of my eternal security is that always yelping at my feet, always moving over in my direction, even when I would stray, God would send his dogs to chase me down. They were the dogs of goodness and the dogs of mercy. They would chase me down, yelping sometimes, moving me in with discipline, but always hounding me and chasing me down with goodness and mercy, always following after me. You say, well, Brother Tom, as I look at my life, I'm going through some tough times. I mean, these are very difficult days for me. My heart is broken. Something has fallen out in our marriage. Something's falling apart. My business is falling apart economically. I'm just in shambles. And yet you're saying that people who are saved have these dogs, goodness and mercy, chasing after them all the time. My friend, I don't care how tough the times are. If you are truly born again, you'll be able to say with the psalmist, even in the roughest of days, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. A man told me recently, he said, Brother Tom, I'll tell you what, these are tougher days than I've had in a long, long time, but even at their roughest, they're better than this old sinner deserves. Surely, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. 
That's just the earthly expression. But notice the eternal expression. He says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is, one of these days, I'm going to be there in heaven, that eternal abiding place. I will be in repose. I will be in rest. All this kind of work here on this earth, all this labor, all this which grinds me down, wears me out, it's all going to be over. And I will rest. I will repose. I will settle down in the house as a part of the family of God forever. There's coming a time when all the hardships be, is over. And the fact that goodness and mercy are following me the days of my life indicates to me that he'll keep his promise that one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, these verses have been on my heart all week long. This one verse in particular. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I've met so many people about whom I would have to conclude, well, where is the goodness and where is the mercy? And of course, the answer is, it's not there because they've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. My friend, when someone comes to know Christ as Savior and as Lord of their life, then goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I stepped outside a hotel door this last Thursday in Nashville, Tennessee. Standing there beside a, a yellow cab was a great big guy. I mean, he was a giant of a man. He was just big in stature, but also he had taken on a lot to help him look even bigger. I mean, he was huge. He was a taxi cab driver. And I was waiting on a couple of friends, and so I just asked this man if, if uh, we could visit until these men got down with their luggage. And uh, he said, sure, we can visit. As we talked along there, I said, well, have you uh, ever come to the point of time in your life where you know for sure that if you you'd die, You'd spend your eternity in heaven? He said, <laughs> he said, boy, he said, that, that's, uh, that's something that you should ask me that. I said, why do you say that's something? He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, just yesterday, he said, my divorce was finalized. When he said that, my heart just broke for him. Because I understood something of the rejection that was going on in his life, the hurt, the pain in his heart. He said, my divorce is finalized. He said, I have custody of my little 18-month-old girl he said, here I am. He said, I hardly know what to do. He said, I drive this taxi cab. He said, I'm gone so long. He said, every day it's just a scramble to find out who's going to take care of my little girl. He said, my, my former wife, she doesn't want this child. and She didn't want me. And he said, my, I just don't know. He said, it's interesting that you should ask me about that. We sat down in the car and I said, well, let me ask you the second question. What would you say to God if he said, uh, why should I let you into my heaven? He said, I don't have any ideas. He said, I've grown up in church. He told me the name of a Baptist church he attended. He says, but I don't know how I would answer that question. As we drove out of the airport, I just began as simply as I could to share the gospel with him. And as we were driving along, I said, you know, in just a few moments, we're going to be pulling over the side. And there's a question I want to ask you when we pull over to the side. I said, in fact, I'll ask it now, but don't give me your answer till we park this car. And that is, would you like to receive God's gift of eternal life simply by trusting in Jesus as your Savior? And through my mind, there raced this thought. You know, if he'll just trust in Jesus, goodness and mercy shall follow him all the days of his life. And here's a man who's brokenhearted, but goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. Here's a man who's so dejected, but goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life if he'll just say yes to Jesus we pulled that car over to the side, and the men in the back seat were very quiet. I'm sure they were praying. And I turned to him, and I said, Robert, that was his name. I said, Robert, would you like to trust in Jesus as your Savior? He said, I sure would, Tom. 
I sure would love to make that decision. We bowed our head, and as simply as he knew how, he said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm the sinner, but you're the Savior. I am trusting you to keep your word, to save me, and to cleanse me, and to forgive me, and give me eternal life. And as we looked up, and there were tears running down his cheeks, I said, Robert, let me tell you a verse that's on my heart. Did you know what the Bible says is gonna happen to you? That is that surely goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. And one of these days, you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I drove away, the old devil said to me, Tom, how do you know? Don't you think you better follow through? Don't you think you gotta, you got to make sure that goodness and mercy follow him? Listen, my friend, I don't have to make sure. He's trusted in Jesus. God has staked his reputation on the fact that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life and that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friend, the title of this message is Surrounded by Security. Surely, goodness on one side, mercy on the other side will chase me down all the days of my life. And one of these days, I'll cross over that river and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and nothing can change that for the individual who's put their trust in Jesus as Savior and as Lord of his life. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed. We've come now to this very important time in this service. Every head bowed and eyes are closed. Nothing could be so important in these next few moments as you're riveting your attention upon what God's Holy Spirit has spoken to your spirit through the Word of God this morning. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. In just a few moments, the choir is going to begin singing. And you know what? For some this morning, in just a few moments, they will make the biggest, most important decision in all of their life for now and for eternity. For I believe there'll be those here this morning who will say yes to Jesus as Savior and as Lord. There's no better time. Yesterday I was visiting in a hospital. I looked at a man who's in his 60s. I just shared the gospel with that man. And I said, you know, not long ago I was in this hospital. There was a man in his 80s who just had a heart attack. He was dying. In fact, he died three days later. And I said, sir, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And he said to me, I don't have time. I don't have time. And this man in his 60s looked at me and said, Can you, do you mean a man actually said that he didn't have time to trust in Jesus? I said, right here in this hospital, not far down the hallway, that's exactly what that man said. He said, I can't imagine it. I said, sir, let me ask you this question. Do you have time? Will you take the time right now to receive Jesus as your Savior? And sweetly there and softly in that room, he bowed his head, bowed his heart before God and said, dear God, I'm the sinner. Jesus is the Savior. And Jesus, I receive you by faith today. I receive your gift of eternal life and forgiveness and cleansing of sin. My dear friend, in just a few moments, you'll have this opportunity to make that decision. I wonder how many this morning, just by the simple uplifting of the hand, could say, preacher, without any question, I know, I can say with the psalmist, surely, certainly, it is a firmly established fact in my life, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you can say that, would you just lift your, your hand just so that I could see? God bless you. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. I know that. I know that. 
I'm not living with some threat hanging over my head, trying to exchange one kind of death for another kind of death. I just know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. God bless you, just put them down. Some of you could not raise your hands. Some of you just quite honest, and you just say, I'm just too honest. I mean, I, I can't say that, and there's no sense in me pretending. Some of you perhaps raised your hands rather tentatively, but in your heart you said, you know, I don't really have it settled. I mean, not really. I, I raised my hand, but I'm not really sure that I've got it settled. My friend, you can settle it this morning. That's right, you can settle it this morning. Listen to the words of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But you can come to the Father through Christ this morning and through Jesus alone. Jesus said, uh, John said of him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Would you like